This is Doug Stale, and he is one of our IMB missionaries. And I'll tell you, one of the greatest desires of our heart here in prayer is that people would be raised up in this church to go out and to be that that voice in, in, our, in our Jerusalem, in our Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts. And so I've asked Doug to come and, and as, a, as an IMB missionary and, and speak to us about his heart for missions and what does the Word of God say. And uh, so just to give you a little bit of introduction, and then I want to turn it over to Doug. Uh, Doug, as I said, is an IMB, an IMB missionary. He is a Virginian. He's from Warrington, Virginia. And he's been in the ministry for 23 years, 18 of that has been uh, overseas uh, with IMB in China, Thailand, Bulgaria, Cyprus. And he's also served on the uh, staff at a church, Stafford, at Ramoth Baptist Church there. He uh, worked with uh, Darrell, one of our SBCV um, uh, prayer organizers for the convention here in Virginia. And uh, the, the opportunities he has had in Cyprus, the Lord has allowed him to have ministries to refugee, refugees, re, revitalizing local churches, and started, started a pottery business and uh, as a ministry outreach center, and also planning, planning two church groups. And so he is uh, married to Sarah Beth. They've been married for 25 years, and they have four children ages 21 to 14. So... So that's as much as you know and I know about Doug. And, uh, as much but, as I know, too. <laughs> yeah. But we, we want to pray for him. And, Doug, thank you so much, brother, for thank coming. We appreciate, appreciate the opportunity. That. Thank you. Well, good morning, everyone. It's a joy to be with you and to share. Thank you so much for the introduction, Brother Rodney. And um, like Rodney said, um, I'm from Warrington. Uh, grew up there. And uh, it's been a journey, as everything is with the Lord, of how he's brought me to this place. Um, like he said, we've served with the International Mission Board for 18 years. Uh, we worked with Hill Tribe minority groups in southwest China for several years. We, uh, we were working amongst the slum dwellers and urban poor in Bangkok for several years. So, several of my kids were born there in Thailand. And then we had the privilege to come back and to serve at Ramoth Baptist Church, not too far up the, the road from here, for several years. And then God called us back to the mission field, and uh, we were the team leaders for the uh, missionary work in Bulgaria. And, um, and then most recently, we've been in the country of Cyprus for six uh, years, the past six years. And so this morning, what I'd like to do is kind of divide our time into three sections. The first part, I'd like to tell you a little bit about what God is doing in Cyprus right now. Um, and the second part, we'd look at God's word together about his, and what his heart is for the nations. And then lastly, about what our response should be. Um, so first of all, let me thank you. Thank you for letting our family be your missionaries. And I say your missionaries, you're probably thinking, I don't even know you, but you do support us on the mission field in several ways. And one way is every time that you give to church, a portion of your offering goes to a cooperative program through the SBCV, and a small portion of that comes to directly supporting missions. So thank you for supporting us, but also supporting us in prayer. Because I know you all pray for the nations, you pray for missionaries, and we're incredibly grateful. Now, Cyprus, I don't know, however, has anyone here been to Cyprus before? 
I got a couple hands here. Awesome. Okay, fantastic. Well, you guys know where it is. Most people, when you say, I live in Cyprus, they think, oh, I love Texas. You know, Cyprus, Texas, that's a nice place. Um, or they say, oh, I love Greece. Um, and, but it's actually an island in the Mediterranean. It's far tucked close to, to, closer to the Middle Eastern side. Um, it's not too far off the Syrian border and, and just south of Turkey. And um, Cyprus is an amazing place to be. Um, it has a lot of unique uh, challenges and, and struggles throughout history. Right now, it's a divided island. The, the northern third of it is uh, Turkish-occupied and 99% Muslim. And the southern two-thirds is uh, Greek-speaking and predominantly Orthodox. Um, it is a country with a tremendous, rich biblical history. If you know your Bible, then you know a little bit about Cyprus. Um, Cyprus is the first place that the Lord sent missionaries, Paul and Barnabas. And Barnabas himself was a Cypriot. And um, if you remember in Acts 13, the Bible describes about how Paul and Barnabas came to Cyprus and they came to Salamis there on the eastern side and they traveled through the country and they got to the Paphos on the western side and they had an encounter with the evil magician Bar-Jesus and it's, he was blinded and as a result, the Roman proconsul Sergius came to faith. And, um, and the gospel was brought to Cyprus. And there's so many other biblical connections. Uh, church history teaches that Lazarus, after Christ raised him from the dead, eventually came to Cyprus and was an early church leader. And we know from scripture that Cypriots were involved in the church in Antioch. So tremendous, rich biblical history. However, despite having such a rich biblical history, the evangelical church in Cyprus is struggling significantly. There's actually less than 1,000 Greek-speaking evangelical believers. And um, so, I mean, you think about that, you know, I mean, how many people come through the doors of this church, but there's less than 1,000 uh, Greek-speaking evangelical believers. And so um, the Lord has tasked us with going and, and serving in that place. Now, one thing that I love about Cyprus is that there's fruit trees everywhere. There's lemons and oranges and palmellos and pomegranates and so much so that they just fall to the ground. People rarely even pick them. There's just too many for people to enjoy. And sometimes when we think about ministry, we often relate it to fruit fruits of ministry. And sometimes um, ministry can be described as different types of fruit trees. Um, you know, I love ministry that's like an apple tree. You know, apples, they just ripen on the tree. You can pick them and eat them. Sometimes they fall to the ground. You could even pick those and eat those. And sometimes in ministry, it's like that. You know, the Lord is working just amazingly in a place. The Holy Spirit's moving. People are coming to faith. You share the gospel and there's a response. I love that kind of ministry. But in Cyprus, we've seen it a little bit different, actually. It's kind of, if I was to describe it like a tree, I would say it's more like that of an olive tree. And I don't know if you're familiar with olive trees, but when I first saw one in Cyprus, I was really excited. And I, because I love olives. It's one of my favorite pizza toppings. And I walked over to it and I grabbed this ripe looking olive and I popped it in my mouth and I was like, Ugh, and I just started spitting it out in front of everyone. And, and Cypriots were laughing at me because I didn't realize that you can't eat an olive off a tree no matter how ripe it is because there's a process involved, this process of preparing it. You have to soak it in salt water and shake it and several weeks it has to be brined in, in order for it to be edible. And in a very similar way, there's been a process involved in our ministry there. And that process, as in every ministry, starts with prayer. 
Prayer has been the undergirding constant force in ministry. That process has continued with language learning and culture learning. The International Mission Board places a really high value on culture and language acquisition, desiring that all missionaries be able to communicate the gospel in the heart language of the people. And like Brother Rodney said, that, that uh, ministry has had a lot of different facets. We've worked with refugees and church revitalization um, and uh, we even started a pottery business. We thought, you know, Lord, how can we, we're trying to think of any way we can think of to reach the nation for Christ. And so my wife and daughters are good with on a potter's wheel. And we thought, okay, maybe we can use that for the gospel. And so we started this, this business and to try to offer workshops and classes that people can come and learn something and we can get to know them and we can filter them into Bible studies with the hopes of starting churches. And so we had that idea and, um, but God used it in a way that we hadn't expected. So when we started this, our national brothers and sisters, the Cypriots who were there, they saw this and they were like, wow, you guys are really trying anything you can to reach our people. You know, we want to take another step with you. And so one brother in particular was a brother by the name of George Hagianis. And George is one of my greatest Cypriot uh, uh, friends. And he's an older gentleman in his 60s. And um, he has, he, God radically saved him. And this is going to be a theme throughout what I share with you this morning is that God is at work seeking and saving the lost. And Brother George, um, when he, in the 70s, when he was a teenager, he went off to college and he was um, in England for, for university from Cyprus and he couldn't afford to fly home for Christmas. And he found himself sitting alone in his dorm room and he had this thought, it's Christmas Maybe I should read the Christmas story. And so he found a Bible. I think it was a Gideon Bible, he said. And he opened it and he started to read the Christmas story. And he read with angels saying, Behold, in the city of David, a Savior is born unto you. And he said it was as if the Lord himself was speaking directly to him. And he just fell on his knees and repented of his sins and was saved there in his room. God did it alone with just his word. It's an amazing testimony of salvation. And then he got back to his home country and he immediately went to serving. And um, he had this heart for South Asians, for Sri Lankans and Indians, because they were all in Cyprus at the time, and they are today. And so he started a ministry to them. And when I met George, I thought to myself, this is a brother that I want to get close to, that I want to associate with, that I want to learn from. So we started meeting for coffee and started visiting with each other. And I was really excited and enthusiastic. And I said, George, I said, I want to share with you the vision that God's given us, that we are here to help um, partner together to plant Greek-speaking evangelical churches. And, um, and he was really kind, and he smiled at me, and he's like, okay, that's good. It gave me a good, like, verbal affirmation, but nothing beyond that. It was like, you know, good luck with that. Um, and, um, and so, uh, and I appreciate that. We appreciate any kind word, especially on the, on the mission field. But um, God did something amazing. One day, George called me up. And he said, Doug, I had this strange dream last night. I want to tell you about it. And I said, okay. He said, but I'm going to wait 30 days to tell you. And I said, what? 30 days to tell me the dream? He's like, yep. He's like, I really need to pray about this. He said, I said, okay, go for it. And so 30 days passes and he calls me up and he says, I want to meet with you and tell you about my dream. And I'm kind of curiosity's peaked here and I'm excited to hear about it. So we go and we sit down and I'm like, okay. 
tell me what's going on. And he says, okay, I've had this dream. And in the dream, I'm standing behind a pulpit. I'm like, okay. And he's like, and I'm preaching the gospel. And I'm like, awesome. That's great. And he's like, and I'm preaching the gospel in Greek. And I was like, okay, that's great. Uh, you're a Greek speaker. And, um, and he said, that's it. And I was like, that's it. You waited a month to tell me that you had a dream about preaching in Greek. And, um, and he's like, but you don't understand. He's like, this was one of these dreams that was just disturbing. He said, it just hit me to the core. He was like, it was as if God was telling me something. And I said, well, what do you feel like the Lord's telling you? He said, well, I've taken time to pray about it and talk about it with my wife. And he said, I feel like the Lord is telling me that we should plant a church together. And I was like, praise God. You know, now a dream. I mean, can God speak to a dream? Of course he can, but does he need to? Not really. I mean, he's given us his word. It's sufficient. Brother George, he knows the great commission. He knows it by memory. But God is so good and he's so gracious that he knew just a simple dream might be the thing that helps nudge George to take that next step. And so any fruit that we've seen in ministry, any fruit that we've seen ripen on that tree of ministry has been by God's hand and to his glory. And so in very short order, praise God, we were able to see a church plant get started. We met in the basement of a building. Um, and our me meetings were very simple. We spent the first quarter of it singing, just like we did this morning. We spent the next part preaching and sharing the gospel. And we spent the last half just gathered together in prayer. And as we gathered together in prayer, we were just diligently praying for a revival. And as we prayed, one of the other members, and, and this is interesting, um, this is a side note here. At the same time he had that dream, a Cypriot family calls him out of the blue and says, hey, George, we know that you do some ministry with, with Asians, but, um, but if you ever happen to do something amongst Greek speakers, let us know because we'd like to be a part of it. So God had already been preparing everything and working everything together. But as we're gathered together in prayer, one family said, you know, we know some guys in a neighboring city of Limassol who are believers, but they don't have any church. Do you think we could do something like this with them? And I'm like, yes, we can. And just like that, we multiplied and we started a, a church plant group in another city. And so God is at work in the nations. God is at work in Cyprus. And it's wonderful to be able to share some things because we've had several years of where we saw very little happen. And then in very short order, God began answering prayers. But you see, the task is still great. Um, if I was to ask you this morning, what is the greatest problem facing the world today? What is the greatest problem facing the world? I know that a lot of different thoughts probably pop into your mind. Um, if you had just been to McDonald's, it might be that a value meal costs so much money because of inflation. But, um, but the greatest problem, I believe the greatest problem facing the world today is the same problem that was facing it 2,000 years ago when Christ came. And that problem is the problem of lostness. And how do we know this? Well, because scripture tells us, because it's the reason that Christ came. Luke 19.10, Jesus says, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And so um, 
scripture also supports this in other places. And this is going to be our, our passage this morning that we look at. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 15. Um, Jesus tells three amazing parables about lostness. You're probably familiar with them. I hope you are. The parable of the lost sheep. The parable of the lost coin. And the parable of the lost son. Or the prodigal son, as you may know. And in Luke chapter 15, it opens up with a description that the sinners and the tax collectors, they're drawing near to Jesus. And the religious elite, the Pharisees, they're starting to grumble. Who is this guy who eats and associates with sinners? And then Jesus begins to tell these parables. And as I was preparing and thinking about what to share with you all this morning, God kept bringing to mind the parable of the lost coin. And so um, that's what we're going to look at this morning. It's the shortest of the three. It's three simple verses. Um, and it's chapter 15, Luke 15, 8 through 10. So let's read it together. Jesus said, Or what woman, having ten silver coins... If she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So there's so much here, but let me share two simple thoughts about this passage. First verse here, there's a woman had 10 silver coins and she loses one. This coin is a drachma in Greek. It's about a day's wage, um, which is pretty valuable. Um, but a lot of commentators and historians feel that uh, has greater value than just a day's wage. Um, that this was probably one of uh, 10 coins that were part of her bridal headdress. So um, it not only had a monetary value, but it had a sentimental value. Maybe perhaps it's the equivalent as if you lost your wedding ring or your engagement ring. Um, and so the first point that I'd like to, to share with you guys from this is that the lost are valuable to God. The lost are valuable to God. And you know, scripture supports this all throughout. Perhaps the most famous verse that everyone in here knows, John 3, 16, for God so loved, for God so loved the world. Have you ever thought about that for a minute? That there has never been a person who you've looked in the eyes whom God does not love. There's never been a, someone that you've seen who God does not love. First uh, Timothy 2.4, he says he desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Second Peter 3.9, he's patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God loves the lost and he desires for them to come to the knowledge of salvation. And I think it's an important thing that we remind ourselves with that the lost are valuable, that you have values. Uh, you know, oftentimes, especially at the holidays, people can feel blue and, and feel kind of worthless. And perhaps you've come in here this morning feeling uh, struggling the, with, you know, 
just don't feel that valuable to God. But let me remind you and encourage you that you have an unsurpassable worth because you've been bought with an unsurpassable price. God loves you and you're valuable to God. And the lost are valuable to God. We see a lot about the heart of God here. Um, we see that uh, in the second part here, if she loses one coin, does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and seek diligently until she finds it? The second thing is that the task is urgent. This lady, she hops right to action. She grabs that lamp, she grabs that broom, and she starts to sweep that first century house, and she is searching diligently. It's a picture of how God searches diligently and carefully for the lost. If you're in Christ, if you belong to the Lord this morning, aren't you glad that he searched for you? I am. I am so glad. You know, have you ever thought, or well, actually it would probably do us well to think, what if he hadn't? And scripture actually tells us, um, if he, you don't have to turn here, but you can take note of it. Ephesians 2.12. Paul says, remember that you were at, that time separated from Christ, alienated, strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope without God in the world. Wow, without Christ, we would have had no hope. We have no hope. And if you're not in Christ this morning, can you sense God's searchlight on you? Because he's searching and seeking for you. It's a picture for us of how God is searching for the lost. And it's a calling for us of how we need to search and seek the lost with the same great care and same great diligence. Um, and you know, sometimes we mistakenly think that the searching and the seeking is all on us. And sometimes we even mistakenly think that the saving is all on us as well too. But it's not, neither of them are. But God calls us to join alongside of him in this amazing task. When we, when we first went to China over 20 years ago, um, uh, we were on a student's uh, college campus. And our, the idea was that we wanted to reach uh, poor college students that would go back to their villages and, have a, and become teachers and that they'd have a position of influence and they might be able to bring the gospel to their villages. And one night we had two students over to the house and... Um, we were, they wanted to watch a movie. We had a TV and um, just interestingly enough, it was a Kung Fu movie and, um, and we were sitting down watching it and uh, my wife was looking at me and not the movie and I looked at her and she gave me one of these like, and I was like, okay, so I get up and we go into the next room and, um, and I was like, what's up? And she says, I feel my wife has, uh, she's very sensitive in every way, but has a sensitive uh, spirit as well, discerning spirit. And she says, um, you know, I really feel strongly that the Lord wants us to tell them about Jesus right now. And I was like, okay. I was like, that's good. Um, it's like, yeah, that's good. Um, I'll tell you what we'll do. This is my, I'm a thinker. She's a feeler. And I'm like, okay, we'll go back. We'll finish the movie. And then we'll kind of transition into spiritual conversation. We'll share the gospel. And so she's like, okay, I'm just telling you what the Lord, I feel like he's saying. And, um, and you know, 
I'll trust you to lead on this. So we go back in, we finish the movie. Soon as the movie's over, the guys hop up and they're like, oh my goodness, it was late at this time. We're, we're, we're late. We got to get back to our, our dorm. And I'm like, uh, uh, and before I could say anything, they're out the door. And my heart just sinks. And my wife looks at me and my heart sinks even more. And, um, and so I was like, wow, we failed. And, um, you know, we're missionaries. Our only job is to share the gospel and we're failing. And um, so... I'm like, okay, uh, we sit down and we grab hands. I remember this like it was yesterday. We grab hands and we start to pray. And I'm just praying, Lord, please forgive me for missing this opportunity. Please give us another chance. And I kid you not, this is about this time it's like midnight. While we're praying, the telephone rings. I answer it and it's one of these guys. And he's like, hey, I just wanted to tell you that tomorrow is my birthday. Maybe we could get together. And I felt like the Lord was saying in, in my heart, like he was saying, it's got to be tonight. And I was like, okay, so um, that's awesome. It's your birthday. I have a present for you. I need to give it to you tonight. You've got to come back tonight. And he's like, he's like, it's kind of late. I'm like, I, I, I won't take no for an answer. He's like, okay, I can come real quick. So I hang up the phone. I'm like, grab a Bible, wrap it up. We're going to share the gospel with him. It's his birthday. And so he comes back and he comes in and I just say, look, I was just honest with him. I said, we were watching the movie. I felt really strongly that God wanted us to tell you about his son, Jesus. And very simply just shared a very simple gospel message about how much God loves him, how Christ came to die for him, how he separated from God, but that through Christ, he can be he can, he can be reunited with the Lord. And, um, and while I'm sharing the gospel with him, he starts to cry. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, I've offended him. And, um, and I'm like, are you okay? What are you thinking? And, um, and through his tears, he says, you know, just this week, I was wondering if there was a God. He says, you know, I... Um, I was thinking about joining the, they're encouraged to join communist party. And he's like, and, and that was making me think about whether there was anything out there, whether there was a God. And, and he said, I was just thinking about it this week. And he said, you know, I believe what you're telling me is true. And yes, I want to become a Christian. And right there in our living room, he repents and he prays to accept the Lord. And you know what happened? Angels in heaven before the Lord rejoiced. Angels in heaven rejoiced. His name was Goodza. We called him Joseph. But the angels in heaven rejoiced when, when Joseph came to the Lord. Angels in heaven rejoiced when you repented and came to faith. And so um, I just say amen and hallelujah. Once again, it's all God. Nothing that we've done. He had it already. He just wanted us to open our mouth. And so the task is urgent. Eight billion people in the world, they say, 195 countries, over 7,000 languages. And they say that 59%, that's like 4.6 billion, are largely unreached. Not just lost, but unreached. Have like no idea of the claims of Christ. Um, uh, you know, uh, preachers oftentimes like to quote uh, Charles Spurgeon. Uh, he's an amazing uh, 19th century preacher. Before he was 20 years old, he preached 600 sermons. Um, but he's got a lot of quotes, and, and that's why we like to quote him so much. But I think perhaps his most powerful quote um, relates to this. I want to share it with you. Spurgeon said, 
If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned or unprayed for. So how do we respond to this task? How do we respond to join Christ in this mission of seeking lost people? The first thing is, is like Spurgeon just said, I think it's through prayer. Um, I know you guys are a praying church. And I thank you for that. We just wrapped up the week of prayer for international missions, but there doesn't have to be a week for that. We can pray for this all year long. And, um, you know, Oswald Chambers said that prayer does not equip us for a greater work, but that prayer is the greater work. And so prayer is the most significant thing. If you could do anything, I would say pray. Pray is the most important thing. We wouldn't even want to go if we didn't know that folks like y'all were behind us in prayer. And I've heard a lot of interesting, uh, nifty uh, things about prayer. Uh, folks have said, okay, John 3, uh, John three sixteen, we're going to pray for three lost people one time a day, six times a week, or just different, different things like this. And I think all that's great. But let me encourage you with just a challenge, a simple thing, because I'm a simple person. I can only remember simple things. But I would say one, would you commit yourself to pray for one? One person every day. One lost person. Think about the impact that could make. One lost person. It could be the same person every day. It could be a different person every day. It could be your family member. It doesn't matter. But would you pray for one lost person for their salvation every day? Prayer. Giving. Giving is another way we, we impact lostness. Thank you for giving to this church. Your church is amazing. Brother Rodney was sharing with me that your church is a ministry to orphans, to adoption, to widows, to the nations. I know that you have Guatemala things planned or Rwanda you've been influential, influential in. Um, I just encourage you to continue to give generously to your church. And um, this time of year, the International Mission Board collects a missions offering. They call it the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. Uh, many of you probably heard that. Some of you are probably thinking, what is Lottie Moon? Uh, it's not a moon pie, but Lottie Moon was a lady very small in stature, four foot three inches tall, also a Virginian from Albemarle County. And in the 1800s, God called her to boldly go to China. And in China, she gave her life serving the Lord. And every Christmas season, in honor of her name, uh, there's a churches collect uh, an offering, uh, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And I believe I saw that your church has a goal this year, $5,000 for that. A hundred percent of what's collected for that offering goes to send and to support missionaries on the field. Over 3,000 missionaries like myself, impacting lostness all over. And so I encourage you, give to your church, give to missions. Um, and then also by going, by going. You know, you don't have to go far to find darkness. It's everywhere around us. My brother lives in Catlett, Virginia, not too far from here. Um, I was driving over to his house and I saw there's this huge Buddhist temple just out in the middle of Catlett. Um, it's just crazy. The nations are here. Um, but it's not just the nations who need Christ. It's our neighbors. It's our family members. It's our friends in school. Um, the task is great. And you know, Going overseas doesn't make you a missionary. 
being a blood-bought follower of Christ makes you a missionary. Because when we come to Christ, we receive a new identity. In Corinthians, we know that that new identity is that we are ambassadors. And so each of you who are in Christ are an ambassador and are a missionary. And sometimes the Lord does call us to go to the nations. And I would suspect that perhaps some of you or some of your family members that the Lord will call out to take the gospel to places of darkness. Because you see, lost things are lost in darkness. And in order to find them, we have to be willing to go to dark places. So I encourage you, pray hard that God would use you where you're planted and that if he has a plan to plant you someplace new, that we would be willing to follow. As I wrap up, uh, let me share, um, let me close with a story also from our time in China. Um, about this same time that Joseph came to faith, um, we were leading a, a volunteer team from a church just like yours um, out to reach some uh, hill tribes it, tucked in the corner of southwest China. And um, one morning we set out, our goal was to go to these villages that we had no idea whether they'd ever heard the gospel, whether they had any access to the gospel, um, whether they even had electricity or however we could impact them with, with sharing the gospel. And we started off on this path. It was going to be like an hour hike. And it, I was much younger then, it was like 20 years ago, and I had young college student guys with me. We all had really nice hiking boots and really nice like, like uh, weatherproof clothing. And as we started on this path that morning, these, very, these two very old Chinese ladies started off on the path at the exact same time. They were wearing little gel uh, flip-flops, and each one of them um, were carrying these giant sacks of grain on their back, huge sacks. And they had, you've probably seen this before, they had this like belt around their head and it's wrapped around the back of the sack to help provide support. And they're bent over like this as they're carrying it. And they're walking on the same path. We hit the path at the exact same time. And, um, and uh, you know, as a Christian, but also just as a gentleman, I think I probably should offer to carry this uh, sack for them. And we start to talk with each other and they're laughing at us. I don't know if they'd ever seen uh, a non-Asian uh, person before. And uh, we're just having a good time trying to communicate with each other. And um, as we're starting on that path, I say, can I please carry um, your thing? And they're like, no, no, no. And we go back and forth. And finally they say, okay, go for it. And so we stop and they help us. And we get that sack of grain and load it up on my back. And I get that belt around my head and underneath the grain. And I hoist it up and I'm like, oh no. <laughs> like, it is like the heaviest thing I've ever lifted in my life. It was horrible. And so I start walking down the path with the ladies laughing at me. And I'm embarrassed to say, like, after five minutes, I had to stop and give it back to these ladies who were probably in their, like, mid-70s. And, um, and, um, and so, anyway, as we're, as we're wrestling with this load, we're praying. We're praying for the ladies, for their salvation. We're praying for the village, villages we see tucked in the midst of the rice fields. And we're just praying. And one of the volunteers with me who's praying, we're praying out loud, he prayed a prayer that I'll never forget. As he was praying, he was um, praying for all these things. And he prayed um, for these ladies. And he likened 
the heavy load that we will, first of all, he's praying that I have strength to carry this load. But <laughs> second of all, he, he likened that heavy load to the even heavier burden of sin that these ladies carry every day in their life without Christ. And um, in the prayer he prayed, uh, Matthew 13, where Jesus says, come to me, all you are weary, heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And um, this morning, as we think about the lost, as we think about lostness, um, do you need to come to Jesus this morning? Are you carrying a heavy burden, a heavy burden of sin? God doesn't want you to carry it. He wants to take it. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Perhaps you know someone in your family, in your workplace, in your community who is carrying this heavy burden of sin. Would you commit to praying for them this morning? Perhaps God is calling you to say, I want to take that first step on that path, even though I know it's going to be hard, but I'm willing to step out and impact lostness. The task is urgent. But there's no more exciting task in the world than to be on mission with Jesus. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for this church. Father God, I thank you for uh, the way that you sent your son Jesus to seek and to save that which was lost. Me. Thank you for seeking and saving me. Father, we say as a church collectively, thank you for seeking and saving us. Father God, I know that uh, in a group this size, perhaps there's one who does not yet know you. And Father, if, if that person is here today, Lord, I pray that you would move in their heart in such a way that they would, just like those sinners and tax collectors, drew near to you when you shared this story in, in Luke 15, that as we draw near to you, um, that you would that you're seeking them and that you would save. If that's you this morning, I encourage you um, to not leave this place without learning more about what it means to follow Christ. Father, we love you. We praise you. We give you the glory because everything good that it happens, everything that happens in ministry, in our lives, is for your glory and by your hand. We say hallelujah. Amen. Thank you for your great love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.